0: I'm gonna put my headphones on. Why? Because I'm just used to it. That's weird, but okay. I'm accustomed to it. Okay. (laughs) We'll see, maybe I'll take them off. There are two kinds of people in this world.
1: (laughs) One of them likes the the normalcy and the the habits
0: that you do every day, all day. Okay, no, it's just every time we record, I have my big recording headphones on, and so that's just how I go. It helps me with my audio feedback. Okay, I'm free-balling it, guys. You're always free-balling it. You're free-balling right now. Every day. Every damn day. <laughs> Are you ready to clap? Okay. After three. About to say, there's n- we can't fuck this up. <laughs> 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 All right. One, <laughs> two, <three. laughs> Welcome to another episode of My Favorite Feminist. My name is Megan and I'm here with my co-host Milana. You're listening to the bi Weekly
1: Podcast explorers, feminist figures in the arts and sciences.
0: Today, both Milana and I are recording down in Virginia on traditional Powerton land where we are coming to you from a giant blanket fort. It's
1: so pretty.
0: It's a little stuffy.
1: A little stuffy. I am already one piece of clothing down. The only reason I'm not going to be fully down is because my brother lives here.
0: Milena is visiting for her birthday weekend, where we thought, well, might as well record our first episode, where we are actually recording together Together in the same
1: blanket fort
0: room. I'm so
1: excited. This is the best birthday weekend ever, guys, ever. I'm telling you, right? Okay, so I just entered the most underrated decade. That is the 30s, right? I don't know. I think we're pretty, that's pretty solid. Underrated, not overrated. Like, you know how the 20s, everybody's like, woo, 20s, awesome, best time of your life. No. Nay, nay, I say. 30s is where it's at. Because that's when you start to have your shit together. Or at least I hope to God. <laughs> because if it goes downhill from what I've had, it's no bueno. But also, this weekend has been great.
0: Wait, oh, the dog entered. Not my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my little, um... 20-pound mutt mix has just entered the blanket for it, and he is now a official co-host of this episode. <laughs> Great news is that he's actually really silent, so you're probably never going to hear him. All right. Well, um, Scruffy Butt is curious, so um, I don't know how to segue for that. How are
1: we learning? What are we learning about today? Did we actually do the opening tagline? No, we didn't, but I'm going to. <laughs> today, we're going to learn Scruffy Butt. Listen up. We're going to learn about the... Deaf water color artist that you've never heard of. And also the woman who backed up evolution, baby.
0: Yeah, did Darwin need a little bit of a, a hand with that? Yeah.
1: Okay, all right. I'm so excited. <laughs> I have been waiting to bring this woman to you for a very long time. And now we're here in this blanket
0: fort with, with this my dog. dog under our coffee table. I have no idea who your scientist could possibly be today. And I'm gonna wager that you have no idea who my watercolor artist is gonna to be today. I no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will argue that my 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 lady's a little more well known than yours, but I will I will say that I also don't know anything or any watercolor
0: artist. Yeah, no, same here. There is a. a- french guy who i do follow on instagram and he does really amazing watercolors of like the parisian land like cityscape oh cool those are really cool to see how it all comes together because i'm like really shit at watercolor so that's pretty it's neat. a hard one because it just runs you you just you can't take away yeah like once the color is down like that's it there is no going back mm-hmm. yeah no i like acrylics that are way more forgiving but our artist today, she does not work in acrylic she was all watercolor and she was touted as the most well-known watercolor artist of 19th century Croatia. Put the look on your face right now. I'm just I wanted
1: something I'm gonna a little
0: slither out of this blanket for. You. <laughs> I wanted something a little different today. Oh my god. I know we've been going hard with like American artists and a lot of people from the 19 or the, the 20th century. And I was like, let's do something a little different. What type of, like, painter haven't I covered before? And here we are. She's a fucking national treasure. I will have you know.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay, I'm sure she is now, because, like, anyone who works in watercolors has more balls than either one of us combined.
0: So. Well, no. Okay, so I will say about today, there is honestly not too much information about her, and she's not fairly well-known in the Western art world. I think because of the language barrier, she just hasn't hit English, like academic material. Right. So things are a little light on her today. So I, I will preface it with that. Sad panda. I know. Because I, I think it'd be really interesting to learn more about her. Uh, and I think one thing, one part of it is that there's no firsthand accounts that she left about her life oh, too. Oh, like no. Okay. Yeah. So that factors into it. Yeah. So today I'm covering Croatian artist Slava Rashke. I'm sorry, what? Slava Rashke. And it's her last name even has one of those weird like half circle-y things over it. So So, yes, Slava. (laughs) (laughs) We're already butchering names over here. It's fine. Yo, yo. (laughs) I checked. (laughs) I checked these things out. I found a pronunciation. (laughs) Her name is Slava Rashke. Okay? Slava Rashke. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, last episode, Milana, you were in the 18th century up in, like, northern Italy. Yes. So, today, we're actually, we're not going too far from that. Okay, how far? So, well, we're just jumping, give or take, like, 70 years or so, but to Croatia, which if you, like, are in northern Italy and you just go east, like, over the Adriatic Sea. Because I always find myself in northern Italy. I mean, you were there last episode. So Croatia's like right on the other side.
1: Oh, it's across the sea. Yep,
0: right from like the northern region of Italy. If
1: you lived in Pescara, which I'm sure is Italian for some sort of fish thing, and you look over the Adriatic Sea, you might be able to see Croatia and either Split or Sibenik. I don't know how to say that, but you can wave to them.
0: I know how well you could wave. But yeah, they're they're fairly close by and... Croatia has a good bit of, like, coastal, like a coastal strip. Right. The country is shaped kind of like a sea. So, like, the top part of the sea goes more inland up in the mountains. Okay. And then the rest of the sea is pretty much right on the coast. So there's a whole scattering of small islands and really beautiful tourist areas. It is shaped like a sea. Yeah. Now you guys know uh, know roughly where it's at.
1: Croatia is good enough for me. Sea for Croatia. (laughs) It's right over the Adriatic Sea.
0: You're killing it today. <laughs> I would say she's only had one truly so far. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're not actually going too far from where you were talking about last episode, the northern region of Italy, just right over to Croatia. And we are going to like the mid-late 1800s. OK. So as, of course, you know, at that point, Croatia was still part of the Austrian-Hungary Empire. I mean, duh. Duh. Yeah. Um and basically those two countries looked around at the Slavic bloc and were like, Yeah, you guys are ours now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was it was like that for roughly about sixty years or so. So
1: no, like we own this land, but sure. Right. Sure.
0: So it's under this empire rule that our artist Slava was born in eighteen seventy-seven to what I understand like an upper class family. Okay. Yeah. And I I've no idea what her dad did. But it is noted that Slava's mom ran the local post office. What? Yeah. You're like that's kind of a weird thing to point out. But apparently, especially for a woman to hold that role, it was a very highly regarded administrative role.
1: Yeah. Like you don't fuck with a with the postal person.
0: No, I mean she's controlling like everything the coming town. in and out. Yeah. So that was a position of respect, which is pretty fuck cool. Yeah. And I'm just speculating here. But I assume that, like, Olga's attitude of, like, I'm running the post office, like, I'm in charge, like, I'm an upper-class woman, like, in the public sphere. I think she extended that attitude to her two daughters, Lava and her sister, Paula. Yeah, I think she, she taught her two daughters that, like, you two can definitely be in positions to, like, take charge. You
1: can own the town you're in. You can run these fuckers into the ground.
0: All right, so mom Olga, she was a painter in her spare time, and she really encouraged her girl's creativity. What? She was like... A
1: wonderful woman.
0: Yeah, Paula, like Slava, like, I'm, I'm going to teach <laughs> you guys to paint. And they both did pick that up. For Slava, painting really did become a method of expressing herself. So she was born deaf. I don't know if it was hereditary. I don't know, like, you've covered before if that was something like rubella or the G- German measles that can cause deafness in infants. But understandably, like, in the 1800s, someone who was deaf, like, that was tremendously isolating. There were no AAC
1: devices?
0: Alternative, yeah. Alternative.
1: No. What is it? Auditory. Whereas this one is, oh, augmentative and alternative communication. So not auditory, but augmentative and alternative communication, like, devices. So,
0: yeah. So, like you said, there's no, like, augmented, like, hearing devices mm-hmm. or, you know, communication methods aside from sign language. And while I don't know the details of what it was like to be deaf in 19th century Croatia, here in the States at the same time, it wasn't great. No. No. Like we said, like, no accessibility, you know, within the public as a whole. And education was limited to schools scattered across the country. So, like, uniquely, my freshman dorm in Philadelphia, it was the old building that was known as the Pennsylvania Institute for the Deaf and Dumb. On that institute name, like, it's not surprising that people of the time assume that, well, if you're deaf, obviously, you must be cognitively impaired as well. Right. You know, that's where that, that dumb comes Instead in. Instead
1: of just your inability to, like, speak like everybody else does.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, just to, to, to hear things and process it. So it's just Like, I'm not stupid. I just can't, can't hear. hear you. <laughs> I just can't hear <laughs> So I I assume that that same type of attitude extended, like, from 19th century America and was similar in 19th century Croatia. Right. Well, so it's not surprising that at the age of eight in 1985, Slava's family, they sent her away over 220 miles to Vienna.
1: Oh, God.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, today, that's, like, roughly, like, a five-hour drive. So in, like, the late 1800s, that's...
1: Like a whole fucking week.
0: It might might have been. I was trying to find numbers if I could find, like... (laughs) stats on that but that's something weirdly specific that the internet was not able to offer me
1: you know um, <laughs> the internet can only do so much
0: i get lucky sometimes <laughs> but not in this case oh my god yeah so she was enrolled at vienna's topstummen institute for deaf children and slava she lived there for seven years up to 1893 and that's when she headed back home at the age of 15 okay So, while at the institute, Slava's creativity, it was not only recognized, but also encouraged. Okay. Under her teachers at this tough institute, Slava learned classical drawing. She learned watercolors, some oil painting techniques. And while for the most part Slava was mute throughout Uh her life, she did learn to read German and French during her time at that school. So, on top of knowing, like, Croatian... She, she knows three languages yeah and also maybe fourth if she also knows her own sign language like yeah there was no comment of that in any of the documentation that came across right i i assume like there was that type of communication going on as well and if anything she'll just like write in one of the three
1: fucking languages she knows know, and then right? pass the note over to the person and like say fuck you yep
0: can you do three languages nope i can yeah look at that piece of paper <laughs> i have written in three languages can you politely fucking pass this alt <laughs> Oh my God. That's when whiteboards would have been really helpful. When Slava heads back to her, home, her hometown in 1983, I mean, it's pretty apparent that she's going to be an artist. Everyone's like, hey, she's really creative. And there was a local teacher there that was like, yo, Slava should move to the capital and she, she, and she should be an apprentice. The teacher was like, there's this like big bad artist there, this Italian guy that everyone loves, Volko Bulvac, Volko Bolvac? It's V-L-A-H-O okay b-u-k-o-v-a-c okay exactly so that guy (laughs) he was like a hot shot artist of the day Uh uh-huh he was like academically trained and he sold his figurative paintings like internationally so to be located in croatia and then to like be internationally dealing and like selling in london was like whoa that's insane that was that was big so his paintings, they are legitimately, like, very nice. They're very conventional, and they do cater to, like, the aristocratic class at the time. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're beautifully executed. Like, I saw one of a woman just, like, standing in the grass in this pink dress, and I was like, that almost looks like a photograph. Yeah, so Slava, she ends up in the capital city, Zagreb, to learn under Valo. And he's like, one... I don't train women oh fuck off and two i don't train deaf women
1: oh fuck off
0: yeah so obviously that did not work out
1: well, what'd she do
0: well the head of the Zagreb school for the deaf learned that slava was looking for studio space uh-huh. and reached out and was like hey you can work at the school oh like we've got a space for you that you can use
1: okay yeah what no. did she do at the school
0: well she she worked and she did her painting there oh, okay Yeah. Now, why...
1: Like like a custodian work or like was she like a teacher there or...
0: I have no idea. I just know that she had... They gave her studio space for her to paint. All right. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not really sure why her parents chose to send her all the way to Vienna if they could have just sent her to the capital of Croatia, which was legit like an hour away from them. That's so weird. see questions, but I don't know. There's no details on this stuff. If we had that time machine. You're right. If... Cue time machine music.
1: Who, do 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 who will solve the mysteries of time and space
0: in between? It's the my favorite feminist time machine. Yeah, we could go by. I would be like, is it because the one in Vienna is like better school maybe? I I don't know. See, these are questions I have. No answers. <laughs> but she was there. She's She has space at the school. She's making art. And she catches the eye of another painter in the capital city. Belka Siskos CSG. Oh, okay. He was a teacher and he was a co-founder of the Academy of Fine Arts in Zagreb. They're going to bang. Maybe. (laughs) Speculation. (gasps) Okay. So he's like not a butthole like the other painter. Good. Okay. And he did take Slava on as a student. You know, he helped her develop her work. He encouraged her professionally. And they might have had an affair together. Banging hard. Maybe. Banging hard. (laughs) There was a movie that came out in 2004 that was about her life. Uh Uh-huh. And an affair that they had together was like a major plot point of the movie. Oh, okay. Now, in the material that I came across, there was no mention of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. So the movie was basically historical fiction. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it was a Croatian-produced movie, so I am completely sure that there's more historical and biographical information on Slava uh, in Croatian. It's just we don't have that same have that here. amount in English. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap there. Okay. So
0: no idea. The movie is called A Hundred Minutes of Glory because her name translates to glory. Ah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. So once
1: it's up. I mean, this is going to be really fucking stupid, and I'm going to cut this out. Is it? Croatian, a language. I
0: realize I've said that at least twice now.
1: Googling now. I guess I'll keep it in for everyone's sake. No, Google it. Google it. Oh, it is actually a language. It's okay. the standard
0: Croatian. Yeah. And I know there. I think there's like there's lots of different ethnic communities like within Croatia. Mm-hmm. So I know that there there might be a slightly different dialect for Serb Croatian, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. Like
0: but, okay. Yeah, I'm. Pr- There's a part of me who's like, I'm pretty sure I read that in passing. The more
1: you know. I'm also now checking Duolingo and seeing if they have a Croatian.
0: Yeah. So whether or not they actually did have an affair, I cannot confirm or deny. But apparently he did help Slava land her own studio space. Yeah. So she's no longer working in the Deaf Institute at the capital city. Instead, she's working in a whitewashed old morgue. I
1: have questions. Okay.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, but I mean, hey, like, you It's know, space. Yeah. Slava's young. She's in her, her, like, late teens. She's got her studio space. She's developing her work. And she really hits her stride in her 20s. Mm. So the 20s were not overrated for her. No. No. So the creative work that Slava's doing is, like, mostly watercolors at this point. And her early works do have a slightly darker color scheme to them like when most people think watercolor you think of something like really light and airy mm-hmm. it's like i mean like we talked about like you can't go back in color <laughs> not in watercolor you can't ease up the saturation on anything oh, like once okay. you apply color there's no going back got it you can add more to it but you really can't take away got it got it got it yeah that's one reason why i don't do well with watercolors because you have to work from light to dark but when i paint i work from like dark to light oh. so it's the complete opposite way to have your brain think about layering and oh, color okay yeah so that's so that's why i don't personally do so well with watercolor but her work is it's like style wise it's academic you know she's sticking to realism slava's preferring to paint ordinary scenes things like the landscape around her family's house or like a bowl of fruit or flowers and she did do a series one of her most well-known of water lilies so when she was in the capital she went to a botanical garden and she did a a whole little series of just these water lilies that are really lovely And i I think one reason why they really stick out to people is that because of the way she's painted them like the depth of field is flattened okay so it makes it more like a graphic design with like a hint of like the like art Nouveau style that is coming into vogue at the same period what I didn't realize you had a second one stashed away over there. I come prepared. Me I might mean, have like a little cooler tucked into the coffee table. <laughs> like, yeah, I've got another truly. I've got some cheese. I've got some little turkey roll-ups.
1: <laughs> I don't ever come unprepared. Don't worry about it. All right. I just like, it's hard to get in and out of this thing. No, I
0: don't blame you. <laughs> Yeah. For the most part, Slava's paintings are a reflection of the solitude that she was accustomed to. So people don't often feature in her paintings, although she does have a self-portrait that's well-known, and she did do a painting of a child. But instead, it's scenes where she'd have to set up her easel, and she's painting, you know, by herself, undisturbed. Mm. Like, you know, let's say Mm. out in the wilderness or something. And one thing that's kind of weird is that, like, there are some articles that talk about the content of what she's making, and they're like, it's kind of weird. Like, You know, she might take like a starfish and a jewelry box and like paint them together in a still life. What? And I've I've seen the paintings and you're like, yeah. She was probably going around her house being like, what are the most interesting things I have to paint? That's true. It's a starfish. It's a jewelry box. (laughs) Like, it's the 1890s. There's not much, guys. Yeah. When you're living in like the capital city of Croatia, you're up in the mountains. So like, hey, what's cool? A starfish. That is really cool. Yeah. yeah. So looking at that, I was like, obviously, the people writing these articles were not artists. No, not even close. Yeah. Because one of them, someone pointed out, she's like, she did a painting of like chickens, but like they're tied to the basket. I'm like, yeah. Have you ever tried to paint chickens before? If you're working from like real life, have you tried to be around chickens at all? It helps if they're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? You take a little cloth, you make sure they're all tucked away in the basket. They're not moving. <laughs> Easier to paint. <laughs> like, like, all I can imagine is like a little leash. <laughs> you know what? I heard that and I was like, wait, how the hell did she tie <laughs> chickens to a basket? Okay, so it's a wicker basket and she just took like a white cloth
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like tied it over the basket. So they're all snugged in a Aww, bit. Yeah. So they're comfortable. They're Move not on. even like, oh my gosh. They're just like tucked into the basket, yeah. And so it, that one's a fairly lovely painting. Oh, yeah. There, there's nothing really outlandish about any of the work she's doing. It's all fairly conventional, but right. the way she executes it, you're like, oh, these are really, really lovely. Well yeah, and they they really capture the moment. And I think for us, you know, we've got instant gratification for Pictures everything. And, yeah, but you could think of her paintings almost like a snapshot, like Polaroid, like of the 1890s. Mm. Because it, it allowed someone to glimpse, like, in that moment what things actually looked like. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think they're they're
1: wonderful. Those chickens are comfy. <laughs> and I
0: want to go hug a chicken. I just want pretty chickens one day. I know. We've been through this. I, I know. don't understand. I, know. I will have a small army of pretty chickens and I will harvest their eggs and I you will eat them. You know, your, your brother asked me, he's like, okay, so if we end up with all these pretty chickens, what happens when they get old and they don't make eggs? And I'm like, well, then they just live with us yeah, until they yeah. die of natural causes.
1: They just hang out.
0: He's like, but well, you're not going to eat the chickens? And I'm like, no, not my pretty chickens. <laughs> They're my pets. Yeah. Fuck off. I was a little salty over that. But... Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, if you think you can go out there and kill one of my, my geriatric pretty chickens <laughs> and then eat it afterwards, you're welcome to. I like to see that. Oh,
1: no. Oh, no. I don't think he could. He could not. I don't think he could. No. He are would – Like, are you really going to do that
0: to Miss Rosie, pretty chicken? No. He would cry. Yeah. He would lo- – he would – he would It's no. not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So I think th- my future pretty chickens are safe. I think they're fine. Yeah. So Slava's art, it was well-received at the time in the art world. Mm-hmm. So with her connections with the not-butthole artist and to others in Zagreb – In 1898, at the age of 20, Slava started exhibiting her work alongside other contemporary Croatian artists in the capital city. Yeah. And then two years later, in 1900, Slava's work is shown for the first time internationally.
1: Stop. Yeah.
0: And she's alive? She is. She's fairly young. So she's only about 22 at this point. Oh, my God. So she has work shown in Moscow and then in Paris. And apparently there was even a traveling exhibition of some of her work, like, within Croatia itself.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. That's so great. Hold on. I just remembered that you asked to go first.
0: Yes. Because while Slava's art career is picking up, so is her depression. Mm. Yeah. It hit Slava hard. Like, so hard she has to move from the capital, like, back to her family's home. Which, I mean, by today's standards is about an hour's drive away. There was a point she was hospitalized briefly and then returned to her family for care. But come nineteen oh three, when Slava's twenty-six, they, they did institutionalize her in a psychiatric hospital. I mean, just think of like what severe depression will do to a person. Just how that will completely incapacitate you in terms of just being able to, you know, go about your everyday life. Yeah. So it's it's about this point that Slava stops painting entirely and like like i i just can't imagine the personal devastation that she was going through i mean like mental health problems they're still stigmatized today i mean we're talking over almost like 100 years later and slava i mean she was battling the additional issues of being deaf in a world that like did not accommodate her
1: yeah didn't understand her
0: and again i mean that's still an issue today and i mean apparently slava did receive like treatment the treatment in the 1900s. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I say that with air quotes because it was pretty much non-existent. And for many women of the time, depression was a response to, like, sociocultural factors. Yeah. Like, you know, women were expected to be a mother and a wife and have no personal ambitions. Right. There's actually a pretty solid paper that you guys can read online, a thesis work by Jamie Lovely from the University of Maine titled Women's Mental Health in the 19th Century. And just in the opening, you know, Jamie lists, quote, sexual harassment, subservient domestic roles, feeling of helplessness due to lack of social power, diffuse sense of purpose, gender bias psychological treatments that were harmful and perpetual pregnancies which often involved complication. Yeah. So and I think her work is more based um, within American and British women, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, that still applies more broadly just to women as a whole within the 19th century. Because
1: no matter where you go, you're always going to have those, like,
0: those gender roles and those things that are expected of you, and then you
1: ask yourself, like,
0: "Like what, like, why am I not, you know, or, like... Just how hard that is. Yeah. So I think that was very much the case with Slava, and then factor in, like, her own isolation. I mean, it's only amplified, like, by her deafness. Right. So... In 1906 at the age of 29, Slava died of tuberculosis. Shut up. Go. Yep. Uh, I mean we've had we've talked about TB podcasts uh, <laughs> and it was like, well, shit, that's the first time we've had someone who has actually died of tuberculosis.
1: I'm just really happy it was tuberculosis.
0: Why are you so happy it's tuberculosis? Ah. Uh, because she didn't give in. I and again, I mean, the paperwork or the article said depression, but I mean, it might have been depress- depression, but it also might have been her frustration that, you know, maybe she wasn't being taken seriously as an artist. There were a lot of cases where families would institutionalize women who were just seen as problematic. Yeah. They were they were fine. It's just that they weren't adhering to traditional gender roles. I take that with a grain of salt to I be mean, like, there could be a lot more going on behind the scenes than saying, oh, she had severe depression just might be a way of... Mm, wrapping nice. up things nice and tidy. Got it. It might That not, might not be the whole story, and it Got probably it. isn't. And again, English material on her is very limited. Mm-hmm. So this is what I have to work with. After her death, no one really cared about Slava Roshke for almost 100 years in terms of the art world. So in 1990, her grave was moved from the psychiatric hospital to her family's hometown.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that was done because at the time, Croatia was... Establishing itself as its own independent nation. Mm-hmm. and I think there was interest in Slava following that because she was like a historical example of you know like um, national pride that could be held up.
1: I love how you just knew you just you just know these things be like oh Croatia was just being themselves at that time. It's like everybody knows when Croatia was becoming an independent nation, right?
0: Well they, yeah, they were also there was a lot of really terrible ethnic cleansing in that region in the 90s. Between the Serbs and the Croatians and the and Bosnians, it was it was it was very ugly. Um, but out of the nineties, they won their national independence. And so thinking about that in hindsight, I was like, oh, that might have been a reason why she suddenly came to popularity. Right. Probably alongside other historical national figures. Right. But that is just my speculation. Okay. Just saying that. But, you know, for whatever the reason, there was renewed interest in her work and her drawings and watercolors there in Croatian museums. In 2000, the Croatian National Bank issued a commemorative coin of her. Aww. So she's literally a national treasure. <laughs> and, like, throughout the same time, there was also, at the same time, the art market was also flooded with forgeries of her works.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, I
0: guess people trying to cash in on that popularity. Ugh. But, thankfully, that didn't stop a 2004 retrospective of Slava's work. That accompanied the release of the feature film about her. Got that it. That was in two thousand four. Got it. So she's a bit of a tragic figure. I did see rumblings online that she's likened to like the Croatia Frida Kahlo. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure because I. I didn't have a wide enough. Or I didn't have a broad enough understanding to to, to, like, to know yeah. that was a thing to or not. To make that
1: connection.
0: Yeah. But she is considered Croatia's best 19th century watercolor artist. And it's just a shame that she didn't live long enough to be considered their 20th century best yeah. watercolor artist. So That is Slava Rashke, the famous deaf watercolor artist that I'm pretty sure you guys have never heard of. And if you have, tell me where the hell you learned about her because I have questions. <laughs> She did some digging, y'all. So that's what I got for you today, and that's why you're going second, because my artist died young, a fucking tuberculosis, which if anyone's doing the podcast drinking game, you finish your drink. Drink. I got a drink. You got a drink, I'm going to drink. Yeah, I hope yours is a little bit uh, more cheery today for us to, to see us out on a good note. I got myself a feisty bitch, is what I've got.
1: I love her. Okay. All right. We like feisty. We like feisty. Feisty's good. You ready? It's been a long time coming. Today, we're going to talk about Mary Douglas Leakey.
0: Wait a minute. Leakey sounds familiar. Mhm. Okay. All right. So for the so for people who haven't caught previous episodes that uh, have featured the leakies, mm-hmm. oh,
1: okay, okay, yeah. I do it. Okay, yeah.
0: all right. If you want to tell her what power couple she is? <sighs> she is the wife of the
1: leaky power couple who were paleo archaeologists um, in Kenya, and specifically, her husband funded some women that I've already covered. But we'll get into that in a second. We are going to. I guess think of Mary as, a, as an individual. We're going to remove her from her husband. Okay. And think, look at only what she did, mm-hmm. which is a shit ton. <laughs>
0: I'm so excited. <laughs>
1: uh, as long as she didn't
0: die from tuberculosis. She did cool. not. I actually right, don't
1: know what she died of.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the, they just said that
1: she passed away peacefully. Spoiler alert. But like the, like the family wouldn't release what it was. So. No. It's whatever. Anyway, she's born February 6, 1913 in London, England. Sorry, we're not doing any fancy, like, like non-English, non-white people. Well, my bad.
0: Oh, hey, we've got another Escape from America episode. We do. Right. Title done. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy
1: peasy. Dad's name was Erskine Edward Nickel, and mom was Cecilia Marion, and they moved around a lot, a lot, so... U.S., England, Italy, Egypt. Dad was um, a curator. Okay. Like, so he would, this is the connection we have today. We might want to rethink the name of it, but um, he specialized in watercolor paintings, and he would go across the world to grab them and then sell them. Oh, okay. I guess art traders, so whatever yeah. the name of that is, he did that. The like art dealer. But specialized in watercolor. That's pretty cool. Okay, so what what
0: year was she born again? Uh nineteen thirteen. Okay. So in theory, her father, yeah, is practicing at the same time that Slava yeah. was producing work. Exactly. Okay. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little connection there. Yeah. We might have to be like watercolor, something or I don't know, yeah. so rethink something like that. So when Mary was in Egypt, Mm -hmm. she found herself interested in, like, the culture, like, the archaeology and the history and, like, you know, just how, like, ancient everything was, Mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, she, like, was kind of like a little pinpoint of, like, oh, maybe I want to do this, right? And mom's side was, uh, like, she was from, like, abolitionists. Okay, cool. And her great-grandfather was actually an antiquarian. So that bug of, like, old stuff was, like, in her blood.
0: Mm,
1: okay, and something probably encouraged within the family. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. For sure. So dad's selling watercolors in the 1920s, right? And they're going to spend a good chunk of time in France because that was... Where it was big, right?
0: Yeah. Creatively, in the 1920s, France was the creative capital of the world. Exactly. Of the Western world. Right. And
1: um, it was during the time in France that she, I think she was 12 at the time, she met a dude named Elie Pironi. Pironi? I don't know. He's, He was an archaeologist. He was a French archaeologist. I have no idea how to say his name. Uh, but he was digging around the caves in, like, Les Isis? Ais- I don't know. But it's located in southwestern France. So, they live together in a commune there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, like, this area is now home to, uh, like, their National Museum of Prehistory and then contains several important archaeological sites and prehistoric rock dwellings. Um, the area is currently designated as, like, an UNESCO World Heritage Site,
0: 1979. I think, yeah, we talk about that region... All the way back in our very first episode. We do. Yeah, we talk about it with um, creative contributions that women made to cave paintings, and there's a a boatload of them along the south uh, French-Spain mountain border. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, like, one of her areas
1: that she ended up growing in. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, And then, actually, the first five skeletons of the Cro-Magnons were found there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's, like, surrounded by all of this. And, like, I guess the guy was, like, I'm not sure if this is, like, really important so you can like go through what I bring back and so she would start digging at the age of like 12 through all these things that were considered you know maybe not as valuable as other things
0: he found Mm -hmm. and she caught the bug that's such a cool experience to be like a kid and to have that opportunity yeah
1: only know like the world and not like sitting
0: in a classroom and well yeah you just have to worry about you know those days catching tuberculosis
1: but you could also (laughs) for sure
0: be out on an actual like archaeological dig when you're 12 years old. Just helping out,
1: <laughs> just doing your thing. Yep. So here's the thing: is that it is a double edged sword because the next year her dad did die. Oh my god, was it fucking
0: tuberculosis? No, it was
1: cancer. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean that's unfortunate. I'm sorry for <laughs> I'm him. I'm sorry. But... Yeah, cancer's not great, obviously, but it wasn't tuberculosis. Okay, that's something. But because dad dies, there's now no reason for them to be jumping back and forth from you know site to site,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So they end up moving back to England, and Mom puts her in a convent to learn. Well, I don't. She wasn't gonna be a nun, but she was like,
0: yeah, I Hi- to school there. Historically, if you wanted to be a well-educated woman in Europe uh-huh. d- during quite a few centuries, mm-hmm. you it, you wanted to go and be taught by, by a convent, uh, by a nun. Yeah. yeah, like you said, even even if you weren't gonna be a nun, that was like the one way women could gain a solid education. Exactly. It didn't really work for Mary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um
1: i'd wager it probably wouldn't work for you no fuck that noise no it didn't it the one christian the one christian school i did get sent to i almost got kicked out several times for really stupid shit i was i was definitely the troublemaker but i didn't do what she did (laughs) so she spoke fluent french uh but her french teacher didn't pass her because she had a provincial accent Oh, that classic bitch. That classic bitch. Well, classist. That classist bitch. That. Yes. Either way, she failed hard. And she would actually go about saying like, I've never passed an exam in that school. Yeah. And she like wouldn't recite poetry and she just wouldn't like fit into line. And she failed a lot. And they kicked her out. Okay. They just expelled her. And then mom picked a different convent.
0: Threw (sighs) threw her in that one. How did that one go? She blew up the chemistry lab. Holy okay! (laughs) Just imagine her like stumbling out of like a cloud of smoke with rubble still raining down. She's got no eyebrows, and you're like, "You guys really have to reevaluate your safety standards." Oh my god! The third school, they're like, "No, we're good. We're good. We won't." Yeah, Have you tried homeschooling? I think
1: maybe. Mom, after that one, was like, yeah. we're going to do a home tutor. And that didn't work out so well either. I didn't get specifics of that. But she, like, gave up to the point where she, like, got her a nanny and was like, you do you. Like, okay. I don't know what to do for you anymore. Right. Um, Even though, like, she, like, mom was having a really hard time. She, when she got older, her mom, like, reached out to Oxford and was like, look, like, I have a bright kid. She's not like classically trained, you know, like cl- there's no like classic academics. Yeah, yeah. She didn't really do well when she was in school. But like if you just meet her, like you'll understand what I'm talking about. And the professor was like, yeah, there's literally no chance at any college. Don't waste your time. That's funny because she later got an honorary degree from Oxford. Oh,
0: nice. Like eat it. Fuck off.
1: Yeah. Mary really liked archaeology and like illustration. Mm-hmm. She loved drawing. She was really good at that. And I guess they just didn't know what to do. And I don't really know the reason why they moved when they did. But they ended up moving to a little town in West London. Okay. And then Marianne officially, like, sat in lectures at the university there. Mm -hmm. And then um, also at the London Museum. Okay. She would go in and just be like, I'm sitting here now. I'm listening. (laughs) And then afterwards, she applied to work on a bunch of, like, summer excavations. Mm -hmm. So her first big dig, her first, like, place to go was St. Albans,
0: which is this crazy old city in
1: England, like, started in the Celtic
0: era. Yeah, it's wild to think how England just has, like, recent houses that are older than our country. Yeah. Like, what? So old. Like, just, someone could casually be like, yeah, my house was built in, like, the early to mid-1700s, and, like, America wasn't even a country then. (laughs) how's your plumbing it was
1: it's really weird to like have like and especially if you're like if you grew up in england and you have that kind of history around you like if you are ending up like dicking around you're gonna find some shit oh there's
0: a lot yeah Yeah. there's a lot okay so what uh, what time period are we in just yet it was hard to get a timeline i would say
1: so maybe she's like in her 20s at this point yeah, close to that, because when I'm about to talk, the next year I have on my list is 1934, and that's a little bit beyond that. Okay. Dig number two was at a Neolithic site in Hembury. I'm not going to go over all the...
0: For what we're talking about? That's not relevant. That's not relevant.
1: So Hembury is also in England, and then there she met a na- a lady named Dorothy Little, or Liddell, who was her mentor and trainer for about four years, and that ended in 1934. So that's where we're rolling up to that. yeah. And then she would illustrate tools for her as well. And her work was recognized by another archaeologist. I will probably color, cover her in the future. Okay, cool. Gertrude Caton Thompson. Sure. Again, I will probably <laughs> cover her in the future. Caton <laughs> Thompson was publishing a book called The Desert Fayom. Fayom? I don't know how to say that. Uh, she needed an illustrator and she reached out to Mary to be the one to do it. And then this, like, the year she did that, which I think was, I think her dig with Little was, her her work with Little was actually 1932, and this was 1934. (laughs) This is a great year, though, because she gets this cool gig, right? Mm -hmm. She finds the largest known elephant tooth at the time. Oh. (laughs) At a dig in southeast England. England, Okay. I don't know. I have questions. Uh, questions I can't answer in my research, but whatever. And then the third reason is that through Kate and Thompson, she met Lewis Leakey. Ah, okay. Q power couple status. Okay. So he had his own work. The context we know him in is that he funded three different women in their research to understand, like, the great apes of the world.
0: Yeah, the most well-known of which is Jane Goodall.
1: Jane Goodall did Chimpanzees, Diane Fossey did uh, gorillas, and Brute Galdikas did orangutans. Mm -hmm. And at the time Mary met Lewis, he was married with a newborn named Colin. (gasps) Oh, things are about to get scandalous. The two met because Caton was recommending her to be his illustrator for a book that he was working on called Adam's Ancestors. And it was during this time that Mary and Lewis got romantically involved, like, while she was illustrating for
0: him. Oh, not with the boss. Okay. He was
1: still married to his wife when he and Mary moved in together. Okay. And his wife, Frida, obviously divorced him. Yeah. Yeah. And this was in 1936. So
0: that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> My grandmother was divorced in, like, the 19- late 1960s, and, yeah. like, in her time, ta- like, the that was too much. That was still, like, a big deal. Mm-hmm. So 1930s, holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. But then Lewis
1: and Mary got married immediately, essentially, and the two would eventually have three sons. Okay. Jonathan, Richard, and Philip. And they had a little girl, too, but she passed away when she was a child, like a baby, baby. Uh, okay. Yeah. She didn't really talk much about, like, in her autobiography, from what I understand, she didn't really talk much about, like, raising children or, like, the difficulties with that because she is work-centric <laughs> like she was definitely mother but she was like i'm an archaeologist yeah
0: putting that foot forward
1: so the scandal of him leaving his wife and child caused lewis to lose his job at oxford at cambridge at cambridge yeah
0: yeah old old school vibe there yeah
1: um uh, but that's okay because it created an opening for them to do what they wanted to do all right go dig yeah along with her once they did arrive, they traveled the world from excavation site to excavation site, and they landed in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So her children were having essentially the same childhood that she did. Yeah. And uh, the whole family worked and excavated together. Like, the kids were allowed to, like, go to the sites with them.
0: So that's, that's really cool. But at the same time, like, the political drop, backdrop, like, Great Britain is colonizing Kenya. Yeah. And we have these Westerners going in and essentially, like, pillaging their, like, culturally rich like archaeological objects that i mean even today countries are still disputing and be like hey yeah we know it's like in your museum but that's legit ours like yeah stole it from us can you give it back yeah it's neat that this family could really do the their kids in that environment but at that same time you're like they're they're culturally stealing from this country that's being colonized so that's just the backdrop yeah there's there's nothing I could do about that. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so did her and her family, did they pretty much settle for quite a bit in Kenya? They lived in Kenya for a while. They weren't just – they didn't just leave. Like, yeah. she died in Kenya.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah. that was – okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, like, I mean, yes, you're correct. But I think also they just kind of fell in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just were there. And uh, their their connection to Africa – I think we touched on this when I covered Borote Galdekas's they have, like, all their resources and their homes. Like, Jane Goodall was in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Diane Fossey was in R- Rwanda. And they were in Kenya. Those countries are neighboring, like, in that area. Yeah. So, like, it was just, like, even even when Brute, who was working, with, like, in Malaysia and Indonesia, she, she had to, it took her a while to, like, convince the leakies to, like, give her the resources because she was looking to go to, like, asia instead of africa and i feel like there was such a like a connection to the african culture that they had it was a little harder for them but they still made it happen Mm -hmm. anyway they really liked it in kenya (laughs) (laughs) and for about two decades 1930s to the 1950s they hang out work at several sites sites covered their like later stone age neolithic age iron age and Mary was more the explorer and the, like, archaeologist. Mm-hmm. And while Lewis also did the digging, he was the one who prob- who publicized more because he was the one who brought in the money.
0: Ah, uh, okay. That's so how he
1: could fund the other women as well. Yeah,
0: he was the more front-facing
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. kind of part of the, the organization. Because let's be
1: honest, if a woman were like, I want to fund myself and these three other women –
0: Yeah, especially, you know, even going up into the nineteen fifties and so and later it's Exactly not an easy sell. I I mean even today, like women startups like to get investment money, like in Silicon Valley, it's like you get a fraction of the cost Uh, that that guys would get.
1: Yeah. So yeah, either way, a good chunk of their work was credited to Lewis. Okay. Because he's the dude. Yeah, he's the face of it. You know. But I have no words to describe the magnitude of importance. That Mary's contribution and discoveries on the scientific community had. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. (laughs) So, 1948, Rusinga Island, which for people like you, Megan. Yes, yes. Where is that geographically located, (sighs) might I wonder? It's an island, technically part of Kenya, that rests the northeast part of Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa and is surrounded by five countries. Like, there are five shores in different countries. Mary would find a partial proconsul africanus skull. Um,
0: a really, really, really old skull. Cool.
1: Yes! I mean, obviously, things are a little fuzzy when it comes to evolution and humanoids, human, hominids. Do you remember way back when, when we talked about wolves and how dogs definitely didn't evolve from the modern day wolf? Well, like a gradual offshoot of them. How their timelines were kind of simultaneous and they have two different ancestors that lived at the same time, but they're close like cousins. Maybe. So like the dog, isn't it like, an ans- like their ancestors like, like the ancestor of the wolf, but they're not the same ancestor. They're not the same being.
0: Oh, I guess I didn't realize that. No, I guess I thought that dogs were like an offshoot of the wolf. Mm-mm. That's like its own th- thing over time no, that like
1: very close okay and i'm sure at some point there was like a divide like mm-hmm. if you go enough back into their ancestors there was one ancestor where it
0: offshoot like it that little fork in the road okay. yeah that's what this skull was oh but for like the human timeline yes okay Cool.
1: So the ancestors of humans were not the only bipedal creatures walking around in the prehistoric eras. There are other species, or there were other species like the ones that our ancestors were. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what happened to them. Like, you could kind of like, chalking up to Ice Age, Pangea turning into continents, just the basic outliers of trying to survive in a world that'll try to eat you at every second of every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But whatever... It- Whatever the reasoning, it just happened to be us that made that it. That came out. Yeah.
1: While the timeline of our evolution is fuzzy and we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, I'm going to tell you the rough draft that we currently have. Do it. So we're familiar with that diagram for the imaginative road of Homo sapiens. Yeah. You have the ape turning into the man. They're all pointing in the right direction and they're, they're walking. Homo erectus, Rhodesian man, Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, yada, yada, yada. So, again, that proconsul skull belonged to a member of the proconsul Africanus. And this species lived 23 to 14 million years ago. That is so hard to imagine. I know. And, again, it is the fork in the road between apes and humans. And he is 13 steps before us in the diagram of Homo sapiens. How many steps total? Right. Well, in this particular one, they're 14. Okay. So he's the second in
0: line. Okay. Yeah. We're going far back. Yeah. It's a lot. Do you happen to know where our ancestor Lucy, Lucy. falls along that timeline at all? So Lucy lived in a different time
1: span. I'm not really sure. They're probably, she's probably closer to 3.2 million years ago.
0: Okay. The so other uh, one was
1: 13 was to 24.
0: So, on that timeline of yeah. like 14 people, and if our your person that Leaky discovered is like number two, she would be like. She's number seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she is down the line then. Okay, cool.
1: She's a different kind of number seven.
0: This oh, so she would technically video. be on like a different chart.
1: She's, I don't, I think she's still technically like one of our ancestors. Mm-hmm. But here, oh, this is why it gets confusing AF. Because in Olduvai Gorge in Tanzania, Mm -hmm. the couple would unearth tool after tool dated over two million years ago. And they had no idea who made these tools until one morning in 1959. So Louis stayed home sick that day. Mary went out to excavate by herself and found what is a Homo habilis skull. And they had to reconstruct the frag- fragments they found scattered over the site, but she found a freaking skull, mm-hmm. and it belonged to, again, the Homo habilis, which is, they originated in Eastern Africa. They are also seven stages before us. They are just a little off, like, they're in a different- The cousins, kind of? Yeah. Okay. All right. They land squarely under the advanced Australopi, which is what she is as well. Okay. So, these hominins were characterized by body proportions that were really close to, like, bonobos, like those, those kinds of
0: monkeys. I know of them. I don't know what they look like. I mean, hold on. That's what Google is for. They actually look like they would fuck some shit up. Okay.
1: Like, they lift is what's happening here.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah they just look like like apes to me. Really
1: buff. Looked more like a monkey, but definitely had human features. Okay, like walking on two legs, was making tools. Mm-hmm. They were they again. They looked like bonobos. They had they have more room for brains than other apes, but their brain was still thirty five percent of a human brain.
0: Okay, of what we have modern day.
1: Right, and they are about three foot to four foot seven. Just like so, they're like. Shorter humans, very small,
0: under five feet.
1: It's clearly not human, mm-hmm. but you can see where we're going. Again, it's number seven. There are seven other steps before us. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so was there still like very serious scientific dismissal of evolution, like, or did she help sway no. more like? the public's view with that discovery she,
1: I, it was more like a public thing the science like science knew that it was happening mm-hmm. there there was your evidence there was your like half ape half human noid hominin thing that gave room for evolution that had room for an extra brain you yeah. know like you can see how they were changing like with the finches with Darwin you know their beaks changed over time they didn't mm-hmm. just magically go from like pointy to curved they went from like pointy to kind of curved to a little more curved to like hooked
0: you know like there were steps and she was filling in those steps yeah she helped document that with within her own and and ancestry
1: and then they named him Zin, Zinjanthropus. It it translates to eastern man and he's also known as the nutcracker man oh is it because of the tools that he was found with yeah that's cool um Yeah. So their ship backed up the theory of evolution. And then 1972, Lewis passes away from a heart attack. Mm. But Mary keeps going. Yeah. She would end up finding 25 early hominids. So like different versions of the Nutcracker Man. And was it 15 different animal species? And then 1978 in Tanzania, she discovers several sets of footprints made in volcanic ash made by early hominids about 3.5 million years ago.
0: That's like so wild to imagine that those things are still here on Earth. Undisturbed. That someone could stumble across them millions of years after the fact. And be like, hey guys, did did we not see this shit?
1: (laughs) How long has this been here? 3.5 million years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Those footprints indicated that they were walking upright on two feet, and this discovery would predate bipedalism farther back than what scientists had already thought.
0: What? That is wild.
1: Yes. So she is finding new hominids, new species, new evolutionary, like, she's just kicking ass. But then she dies in, like, the age of 83 from, again, unknown causes. But she was working up until her death, like they all do.
0: I know, seriously, unless you've got herbling depression like Slava and <laughs> die of fucking tuberculosis, Right. But, yeah, for the most part, the people that we cover, I mean, like...
1: They just keep going.
0: Yeah. No, you've got, like, a job to do, be it in the studio or in the lab or out on research. Like, people we cover, they usually just don't die. Nope. Like, at all.
1: It's what they want to do in their lives It's just to keep going. Yeah, so I fully intend to live forever. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that is Mary Leakey kicking it with prehistoric bones and shit.
0: Okay, well, that's neat to have some insight into her, considering that you you briefly mentioned the couple in relation to the work that they helped facilitate with the other women scientists that you've covered. So it's neat to hear her own contributions and what she was doing at the same time.
1: I have closed the saga.
0: I'm not covering Louis Leakey. You all can
1: look that up yourself. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I was really happy when I found out that she actually did a lot of great stuff. I was worried. I put it off because I was worried. I didn't know what she had found. I didn't know if she was just like the wife of another, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: like, if it was the husband doing everything and she was just kind of there, you know. The exact opposite.
1: Bitch smoked every day and looked like she was constantly in on, on an excavation site and she ran the show. She was just like, I am man. Hear me roar. Hi. Like, she's, she's discovering man. <laughs> she's discovering man. Hear me roar. Yeah. Oh, my goodness
0: all right well that is a much nicer ending than mine see this is why i had you go second because i'm like we're gonna need uh something to go out on or something to look forward to to go out on well as always if you guys have made it this far we really appreciate it and we especially appreciate today that you could join us while we are in our giant blanket fort it's so big it's a pretty good size so milana if people want to see some of the images of the discoveries that mary made or see some of the artwork for slava where can they go to see more we have a website my we
1: have an email info at my favorite our facebook is my favorite feminists and so is our instagram our twitter is at milena megan that's at m-i-l-e-n-a-m-e-g-a-n you can listen to us where you can listen to any podcast, really, like those major podcasty, broadcasty apps. Don't judge me. I've had Trulys. <laughs> you, you know, you're listening to us right now. It takes two seconds to like, subscribe, share, comment. Let us know if you've ever gotten kicked out of school or blown something up. We just got suspended.
0: Yeah, we got suspended. That's about it. Nothing wild and crazy on our end. We're not, <laughs> we're not the cool kids. It's fine. I have technically blown something up on purpose. You're giving me the eyeballs right now. On purpose? Not intentionally. Oh no. Okay, so oh, was it a kiln? With ceramic work. Oh no. If you don't let your pieces dry out long enough before they go into the kiln for the first firing, if there's still moisture trapped in the clay when the kiln starts to heat up, because kilns like the firings I do get up to, like, 1900 degrees Fahrenheit. There's a point where all that moisture is trying to escape all at once, and it turns into steam, and that steam will blow up your ceramic piece. <laughs> and that happened once. I had a small piece that had, like, a face sculpted on it in a tiny kiln, and, you know, the, the firing completes, the kiln cools down, and I go to open it up, and someone happened to see me, like, open the kiln, and they were like, what? Why are you laughing, Megan? And I was like, come here, come here, because they weren't like a ceramic person at all. They looked in, they're like, oh, my God. It was just like ceramic shards. (laughs) And they were just like, I'm I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) As I'm chuckling, and I'm like, no, no, it's all right. They're like, what happened? And I was like, well, it just, I rushed it. It still must have been... A little wet. It's explosion. Yeah, it exploded. Because they were like, Can you save that? I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, that's okay though. Like, I'll make another one and I'll make it better because I've already done it once. So yeah. it'll be and I'll make it quicker. I'm like, that'll be fine. But so that was like the last ceramic incident that I had. And that was years ago. So um always Always make sure to dry out your ceramic pieces fully. Otherwise, they will explode in the kiln.
1: Yeah, none of my patients have exploded. So. That would
0: be very problematic in your line of work. <laughs> I would be very concerned. No, I think we're all good. I don't. Lost, poor Mr. Lewis. It was an extreme case of flatulence. I <laughs> repaint the room.
1: But, like, he really loved his cheese, and so he died happy.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> we can also put that on your tombstone. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Ah, we'll see you guys next time. So until then. Bye. bye.
1: I really want some cheese myself.